All right, well, we are in Nehemiah chapter 11, 11 and 12 today. We're going we're gonna to nail it. Uh, next week, we will conclude our study in this book of Nehemiah in chapter 13. And uh, man, I've, I've personally enjoyed the study uh, of Ezra and Nehemiah the last few months. And uh, we're in 11 today. We'll get started there, finish up in 12. Next week when we do chapter 13, kind of the wrap-up of the book and, and finish that, uh, we're also going to, as a church, observe the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion next Sunday. Um, and, and part of that intentionally is the celebration that we're going to read about today uh, when they dedicated the wall and that idea that as followers of God, we come together and celebrate the good thing He has done for us. Uh, both in our past as well as now. And so uh, one of the things the church has the opportunity to do, and that would be uh, communion. So join us next week. We're looking forward uh, to that. It's always a special time. Um, what you've learned, hopefully, if you've been with us, and if, you've, if you're kind of new to Grace, we're so glad you're here. And uh, these sermons, the messages are all online, as well as notes that go with them, if that's helpful. Uh, we keep the last several uh, series up there. You can go online now and even get today's notes, if that would be helpful. One thing we've learned throughout the study of Nehemiah uh, is that God was not just rebuilding the wall. Like the, the rebuilding of the wall is kind of what got our attention there, and that's what Nehemiah's, you know, seems like his, his function was, was to, we, the, the exiles have returned from their 70 years of captivity. Remember, they came back in three different waves. Uh, Nehemiah uh, led the last of those three waves, and now the people were back, and they built the wall. The wall was important. The wall was part of their identity. It, it helped is, isolate them as God's people, set apart for God's purposes, uh, based on the covenant that God made with Abraham way long before that. So it really mattered. It clearly helped them uh, in mili military strategic, that they were protected, they were safe. Um, it also blessed them that they would have economic growth because the city can now begin to be rebuilt. And so there's a lot of ways that the wall really matters. And it really is important. But what I love about the study, and we'll see it today, that's not God's first objective. God isn't just about, hey, let's build a wall, or as we like to apply here, let's just build a campus somewhere so we can meet there instead of here. It matters, it's important, it has great value. That's not the end of the game. The end game is always about people. Say that with me. The end game is always about people. Now, look to the person next to you and say, I think that means you. Yeah, do a little preaching there if you need to. Yeah, do a little sermonizing right there if you need to give a little, if you need more time. I'm teasing. But that's what we love about this story. We saw it with Ezra. When the people were gathered, it wasn't just so we can raise the flag and say, we're a people again. Come look at us. And, and they, they gathered because individuals always matter to God. You matter to God. Each one of these, we've seen in both Ezra and Nehemiah, these lists of names, remember? And I, very wisely, have not tried to read those in front of you. Uh, but you have these lists of names. Names matter to God, as does yours and the people you know. So God is at work, not just rebuilding the wall, but rebuilding people. Uh, bringing people back to himself. Making the path clear for worship of him and declaring who he is, much like we just sang about here in our service this morning. 
So what this is really about is rebuilding people. When God's people are right with him, their identity is secure. They understand we're God's people. We talk a lot about identity here. That you would know you're not just a Christian, therefore you have certain values that you're supposed to do to look right, to perform right, to impress others. No, you're a Christian because Christ is in you. Your whole game changed the day you got saved. God lives with you. God loves you, has a purpose for each and every one of us. He's doing something through us. Sometimes it's real obvious. Oftentimes, we all wonder, what is God doing through this circumstance? But God's always working through his people. And what I love about this is when a person is in that identity, they understand, man, God's got something going here. Life can get messy. There's stuff. But I know God is doing something. And we trust him. We obey him. We follow his word. When that happens, I think God finds great pleasure. He finds great pleasure because we, he knows that we know that we're his. He knows that we know this isn't about how well I'm doing. He knows that we know that it's all about him in me. I think he finds great pleasure, and we call that worship. That's what worship is. Worship is me acknowledging the goodness of God, me acknowledging the fatherhood of God, me acknowledging who he is and what he's done. So we're talking about worship in Nehemiah today. 11 and 12 is going to draw our attention to worship. So let's dig in. I wonder, as we get to this first few verses, I want you to think about this question. Would you ever consider physically uprooting your family and moving somewhere, perhaps somewhere uncomfortable, only because God was leading you to do that? Perhaps some of you have. Um, to say, yeah, I got, my, I got my thing going here, I got my work, got my family, got my people, got my stuff. And if God was to say, you know, I'd rather you be over here, I wonder if you'd be willing to do that. We may not talk a lot about that, um, but I think it's important. And I think it's important as we get into these passages to see that's exactly what God's doing. And, and I think this is going to initiate uh, the act of worship. I'll, trust me on this. We're, we're, I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, willingness to move for God is this first section of chapter 11. We're not going to do verse by verse through all of 11 and 12. Lots of names, lots of details. But let me walk you through some of the highlights. The willingness to move for God. And you're going to have lots of ways in your own heart and head that you're going to apply that perhaps even today. Look at verse number 1 of Nehemiah 11. We'll look at the first three verses. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Let me say that again. Now the leaders of the people already, in fact, did live inside Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Then verse 3, these are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And it continues and begins to describe where people were. So what's going on? You know we've come back to Judah 
And in Judah, that's the region, southern part of Israel, northern part's Israel, southern part Judah, they've returned to Judah. They're the ones that got in trouble and had the 70-year time out, remember? They've come back. They've rebuilt. The first thing they rebuilt was the, starts with A, back in uh, 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 Ezra. Altar, there you go. First thing they built was altar, and then they rebuilt the, say temple, Temple, there you go. So they, they come back and, and they, they, they rebuild and they've got the temple. They've got their worship. They're rebuilding people. They're rebuilding worship. And now uh, they've rebuilt the wall and it's completed. So now you've got this walled city. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Yes, isn't that awesome? Just a few of you. I so want to go again. I so want to take as many of you as we can. Hopefully in the next couple of years we can pull that off again. It was a great trip, great experience. There's walls there. You go to the city of Jerusalem. Now, today the city is a city, you know, but within that city you have what they call the old city, and it's got walls around it. The walls would be a little different than what we saw here, the exact location, but the city was walled, protected, identity, all the things I mentioned. But here's the deal. No one was living there. Very few lived inside because they had all scattered. Um, During that 70 years, you had a few... I don't know what you call them. I guess squatters. The people just say, I'm going to live here because I want to um, and live off the land and take stuff. Uh, but the nation, had the blessing was removed and they lived in a whole different place. And so now the people are coming back. And this willingness to come back, this willingness to obey. And when God said one out of ten will come, we'll see later others could join them. Uh, God blessed them. As I mentioned, this to me signifies that worship starts with willingness. Worship starts with obedience, a willingness that says, God, I'm coming to you on your terms. I'm willing to acknowledge you, to serve you, to honor you. Why is living in Jerusalem even talked about? You would think this would be easy. Like, honestly, if someone said, hey, Pastor Mark, you want to go live in Jerusalem for a year? I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. I'd go tomorrow. And I'd probably talk to my wife first and talk about that and make sure she's coming with me. And, and my mother-in-law, we'd kind of make sure things are covered. But it would be so cool to live in Jerusalem today, right? Some of you are like, are you sure? Uh, but just the history and, you know, it would be neat to be there when the Lord comes back because that's where we're going to end up. Hallelujah. Um, but back then, it wasn't like attractive to live in Jerusalem. It wasn't attractive to live there. It would have many challenges Uh, Jerusalem had been left barren. It was destroyed. It was left desolate. Um, The exiled Jews were no longer there. It wasn't home for them. It was a hard place. But now that they've rebuilt, um, they want to replenish the city. They want people to come uh, and live there. One thing you have to remember, and some of you have experienced, home isn't always what it used to be. How many of you have ever gone back home to the place where you first grew up? Right? It's like, wow, it's different. It just feels different. It's smaller. Or, it's, or wow, we were that poor. Whatever it is that hits you. It's like, it's just not the same. Yet part of it really is. It's familiar and it's, it's, it's comforting. Home, it wasn't the same. Obviously, it's been not just 70, but now we're over 100 years since that happened because of the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, is it 100 years later? Things were way different. Many of the people, that wasn't home to them. It was home to their parents, maybe. And they're now coming back because this is the homeland where we belong. It's been a long time. Good lesson there. Life is never what it used to be. 
I don't know if you're like me, you start reminiscing. It's like, man, things have changed fast, right? Things change fast. And I'm not just talking about student housing going up everywhere, but boom. I'm talking about, man, everything changes about your city and about going home and everything feels different and, and life is fast and the kids are growing up so fast, aren't they? If you're like an old person like me, like it goes fast. I don't know what's going on. We sleep, the clock goes faster, and all of a sudden we're awake, and what just happened? That's what life seems like. So home isn't what it used to be. Time is going by. So much changes. And we're still in that position of, so what will I do? What am I trusting God for? Moving always means change. For them to be called back to go to Jerusalem, and as you go through the list, some of those people, would be, this would be the first time they've ever been there. It's new. It's not maybe going to feel comfortable. Moving always means change. Many of you have experienced that. If you've moved to Flagstaff in the last few years or God has moved you around in your life, you can probably retell the stories of how different it was in this culture or that culture. The people here are this way and traffic here is this way. It always involves change socially, your friends, your neighbors. You were once close to family. Now you're far away from family. That's hard. Um, by the way, this rebuilt city of Jerusalem would be a target. This wouldn't be like an easy, yeah, let's just go to Flagstaff. What can, what can happen there? How bad can that be, right? It wasn't that. It was like, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to live inside the city, which the fact that they had to build walls tells you it would be a target. So there would be risk. It would be perhaps challenging. Threatened neighbors to the north. Uh, threatened neighbors to the east. They're going to see the growth. They already have, we've studied, they saw the, the rebuilt walls and the fortification of the city. There's going to be a threat. So what's going on over there? Are you guys trying to do something beyond us? Are you trying to be your own thing over there? There would be a challenge to that. In other words, there's a sacrifice to live there. It wasn't easy peasy. It wasn't like, well, sure, who doesn't want to live there? Great weather, good fishing. It wasn't that. Uh, it would be hard. Moving means change. As I read that very first verse, the first phrase, leaders lead the way. Leaders lead the way. The leaders are the ones that were there. That would be, uh, that would be Ezra and Nehemiah. It would be the ones that had been telling us the story. And as we read through the list of the priests and the Levites, and then they begin to open this up, one out of ten, they're wanting to repopulate. Leaders always lead the way, by the way. Sometimes we have a hard time trusting a leader if we're not seeing them do what they're asking of us, am I right, in any environment. Sometimes it's hard to trust other people. But when you see someone sacrificing, you see someone leading by example, we want to follow people we can trust. We want to follow people willing to sacrifice as they would ask of us to sacrifice. That's normal, which begs the point, you and me, let's be that kind of leader. Let's be the kind of leader that practices what we preach, that acts out the things that we say we are committed to. So obeying the Lord, I love this principle, obeying the Lord puts you in the path of his blessing. Will we go live inside the wall? Is that something that we're supposed to do? If we, if we got the lottery, the one out of 10, uh, the others that would join them throughout chapter 11 and 12, obeying the Lord puts you in the path of blessing. Um, the scripture is full of examples of this. Pick your favorite Bible character, and there's probably a story that relates to that, right? Uh, Joseph, obey your dad, go see your brothers, and that horrible path that happened, 
ultimately was for amazing blessing. Obedience leads to blessing. And by the way, that's not always a promise. It's more of a principle. And what I mean by that is some of you have said, I've done the right thing. I acted right. I said right. I treated this person. God, I trusted you. I prayed. I gave my offerings. I did all this stuff. And yet this corner of my life has fallen apart. This corner of my life isn't making sense right now. This is kind of actually not at all pleasant. The principle is as we honor God and trust him, obey him, that's a pathway towards his blessing. May not be immediate, may not be as I intended or what I was hoping, but we see that with, again, Joseph. Look at Abraham. Get up and leave. Go to this place. It would be hard for Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees, but he does so. And ultimately, you have a blessing that we would say is beyond measure, as in you will have people uh, numbered as the sand of the sea, of the, of the, of, of the coast, all these, all these millions of people, this, this, this heritage. You see that God blesses when we trust him and obey him, which leads to the next little principle I like to say, uh, where the Lord guides, he provides. He knew that. Um, where, where God led this path for Joseph that was hard, for Daniel that was hard, uh, for Abraham that was hard. Uh, he will provide a way. God doesn't lead us and then leave us desolate. God doesn't lead us a certain way only to uh, exit. And so for these people to say, hey, we'll go to Jerusalem. We'll do this thing. We're going to see that God will ultimately bless them and certainly bless that city. When I think of moving with purpose, I can't help but, but think about the, some of the people from our church, from our very own congregation. You've heard me tell the story in the past of, of my own parents, my wife's parents. If you didn't know, some of you that are newer, my wife's mom, Merle Dean, is a part of our church family. A lifetime missionary, her and her husband, uh, did this very thing. There was a time when God led them to Columbia. And Columbia wouldn't be like, oh, cool, I hear it's great food. Uh, Columbia would be like, yeah, it's going to cost you something. It's a hard place, especially during that era. And so they left. They went to language school. They did the deed. They did the work. They stepped out by faith and said, we're going to Columbia. And they spent a lifetime ministering there, planting churches, supporting churches. And God continues to use those ministries because these two people said yes to the Lord. The story of my own parents mirrors that. Two that said, yeah, we'll go to Mexico. They didn't know Spanish. They weren't familiar with it. And they do that thing. They go to language school. They say, yeah, let's go. They give a lifetime to Mexico. Uh, it's affected a generation throughout the country. Um, I think of people out of our church. You guys remember when Molly Evans, a college student, says, I, you know, I, I feel like God wants me to go. I remember Charity LaMurtha, one of our first early college students. Some of you remember her. I think God wants me to go. They were willing to say yes to something that was like, my friends aren't really doing this. This isn't super normal. But I feel God wants me to take the gospel and to go to a place to live inside the walls that might be different, might be dangerous, certainly will be uncomfortable. Um, remember a young man named Jesse left here to go to seminary so he could be a chaplain. We have Elizabeth with us. Elizabeth, a, a, a businesswoman in our community, just a a couple of years ago, right, Elizabeth? Just a little bit ago, it seems like. A businesswoman in our community who gives her life, and God says, I want you to go to a place that uh, most people don't want to go to. And she did and has. You see, where God leads, where God guides, he provides. He'll bless financially. All those people I mentioned, every single one of them, had to raise money. It was awkward. It was hard. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. No one said, sure, I'll go, and can you pay my way? Uh, they had to do the hard things. And so there's something about obedience that I want to get across here that leads 
to worship. Clearly, it leads to, to blessing and trusting God with his fruit in my life, but it also leads to our worship. And then you get to verse number 20, and let's not forget the other half of the other side of the coin. Sometimes we're led to stay. Sometimes God's leading your life is to stay right where you are and do exactly what you're doing and raise the flag for Jesus and live for him and be a witness and a testimony to your family, to your neighbors, to the people that you work with. In verse number 20, um, and the rest of Israel and of the priests and of the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, every one in his inheritance. So they stayed at the family plot. They stayed in that region. It wouldn't be a walled city like Jerusalem. It might be more of a village or a, what we consider a small township. And they stayed there uh, doing exactly what God had called them to do. And the rest of chapter 11, after a roster of people who've returned and been counted, Nehemiah will now take us to the celebration, what I'm, what I'm labeling the worship, the time to express great joy in the activity of God. So some people obey God by staying right where they are. Uh, some people obey God by doing and being willing to go as he guides. In Nehemiah chapter 12, we see this is a time for celebration. <clears throat> so we, we begin by remembering the past. I love that about worship. Worship isn't always I just step into the room. What's God doing? God, thank you. Worship often is I step into the room and I look back. I look back in my life and say, God, thank you for that. Help me never to forget that. And we see that even in chapter 12, as it begins and recounts uh, in verse number one, these are the priests and Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. Remember Zerubbabel? That's the first thing. This is like 100 years ago. They started by recounting the history. Do you realize God has been so faithful to us? 100 years ago, a guy named Zerubbabel led some of the first people back to our land. They started their worship with that. And I'll say it again, I've said it before, there is a place for the retelling of stories. It's a great place to be. It might be around a dinner table. It might be at a coffee shop. Tap into people that have been around a little bit longer than you and ask stories. How did God help you with that? How did you, young parent, <laughs> ask, how did you raise your kids, older parent? Uh, how did you do that? Retell the stories of God's faithfulness. I don't hold back. Don't you guys have a wealth of knowledge, both in the testimony of Christ and in the way we've lived, our, lived out our faith. And so the retelling of stories, I think, is represented in this first part of chapter 12. As they go back and say, these are the people that came. They have names. They look like this. This is who they are. And we learn all about them as you go through that list. But then you skip down to verse number 27. I told you that'd be quick. Nehemiah 12, 27 and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate. Everybody say celebrate. Not to bemoan, not to check off a list, like to say, well, we're supposed to go to this thing. I really don't want to go. I'd rather stay home. Don't you find it uncomfortable to have to get up and go somewhere anymore? It's like, why do I have to go? I don't want to go. I want to stay here. No, they, they wanted to go because they say what? Celebration. I knew you had it there. So bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with, say it, gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, thank you, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now, now lyres basically, let's just call it a guitar, can't we? It's a stringed instrument. 
And so they're basically saying, we're going to go to this place and dedicate this great thing that God has done. And it's going to be a celebration. We're going to do it with gladness. Gladness says, man, I can't wait to be there. You guys think I'm going to preach to you about how you should worship on Sundays, don't you? You think you're being set up right now. Well, the smart ones of you have figured that out. Yeah. Here's what I'm saying. There was this call in worship because of what God has done that says, hey, let's go do this thing. And I love this. Look at verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So together, we celebrate God's work through the obedience of his people. We do this together. They were bringing them in together to say, hey, we're going to celebrate what God's done. There's going to be a day, obviously i got to go here, there's going to be a day when we open our new, our new building. We're going to have the keys and we get to walk in and everyone's going to go. And we're going to go and we're going to what? Thank you. We're going to celebrate, hopefully, with gladness, right? There's going to be a sense of we're at a physical place because God did this thing, and now we're all here, and we can't wait to see what God's going to do because of that, right? That's exactly what's going on here. They're, they're, the wall's built. The city is being restored. It's being populated. And there's this amount of joy <clears throat> that says, look what God has done. Let's go dedicate this. We're going to have a dedication at our campus. We had a dedication of the, of the project and our groundbreaking. There'll be a day of dedication when we come. Uh, and I can't wait. And hopefully it's not getting further away, but it's coming. Um, so we celebrate what God has done through the obedience of his people. Because the people said, yes, I'll move in. Yes, we'll come home. Yes, we want to engage in the worship of the Lord. And I love in this passage, it clearly between 27 through the end, there's an emphasis on the music, on the, on the expression, the emotional response to worship and singing and instruments. It says, God, we want to worship you. Uh, it's not about God, man, we, we're supposed to worship you. So Let's walk into this place with our hands in our pockets and kind of get this over with because there's more to go today. That's not what they did, right? They came in with gladness. They came in with, with expectation. This is worship. They celebrated just like we worship today. I think it was the same thing. We even have some advantages, I'll say in a second. But notice in verse 30, it started with a purification of the leaders and the people. So not just the leadership, the best I can do with that, aside from us having like, you know, make sure you all peer before you walk in the room and wash your face and wash your feet. We're not going to mess with that. That's on you. I think this is a cool picture of preparation. I think the purification was a sense of preparation. Hey, before we do this thing, it's going to be exciting. We're going to go to the wall. We're going to stand at this gate. There's going to be hundreds of people around you. We've got the band. Actually, they had two. They called them choirs, but let's just be honest. It was a band with vocalists, right? So they had these two bands, these two choirs, and this is going to be so cool. But before we do any of that, we need to get ready. We need to be prepared. And this is where I want to shepherd you and encourage you and, and bless you by saying, when we come as a gathering, and I know there's some of you watching us online, and I'm so thankful you are, and I think you're experiencing a part of it as well, but especially in a room where you're physically present. Can I just encourage you to come prepared? Come prepared. Be ready to go. You're like, what, what does that mean? Well, I think you probably know. You could probably make it up. Um, 
I, th- I, I wrote a couple of things down because this is my opportunity to. <laughs> I think it's good to get yourself ready, prepared for worship. Don't just show up to a worship service. And I'm talking about grace or any other church or your future or whatever. Don't just show, show up to a place and say, you know, I'm going to walk in and I hope it's good. And I hope I feel better about God when I leave. That's not being prepared. That's being okay, and I'm glad you're here. Being prepared says, I know God is worthy. I can't wait because of who he is and what he's done. And may I've ha- maybe I've had a hard week. Maybe my mind's been in some distracting places, and I'm struggling in some stuff. But, but I, I get to gather with other people, and there's going to be the lyre, the harps, there's going to be the musicians, there's going to be singing, there's going to be joy, there's going to be gladness. Prepare yourself. Don't just show up saying, I hope it's good and I I leave encouraged. Instead, know that you're in good standing with God. Know that God loves you unconditionally. Know that God isn't saying to you, yeah, you know, you've had a rough week, so this is probably going to be a rough day for you. God loves you unconditionally. He doesn't put limits on this. We're here because of his grace. So come ready. Here's this. I feel like a father right now. Go to bed in time to be fresh on Sunday morning. That's right. I said that. You heard me. I'll say it again. So, absolutely. You know, you see someone on Sunday morning. How you doing? Ah, oh, man, I'm so exhausted. We just, it's, oh, it's brutal. That has a great movie, but we got out at 1 a.m. And I want to say, stop it. No, I'm just teasing. Do what you want to do. But, but obviously, this is a cool thing. You get to come to this. And even though you may not be expected to, like, you're not the one singing the song up here, but come ready to participate. Come. Go to bed. Uh, read scriptures on Sunday morning. If you, like, if you're, if you take, a, take God's word in and you have a devotional pattern, don't take Sunday off thinking, well, Pastor Mark will cover me today. <laughs> Don't put that on me. Come prepared. Read your passage. If you're not reading somewhere regularly on Sunday morning, open the book of Psalms pretty much anywhere and just read a few verses. That'll get your mind on, wow, God has been good. Wow, we've been a mess. Yeah, God has been faithful. So prepare yourself by reading. Pray. Great time to do that, by the way, everybody. And some of you might do this. When do you think I'm going to say? Absolutely. In the car. Yeah, but, you know, I, yeah, I got the kids. I'll teach them how to pray. Um, I got this. Pray. pray on your way to church. Lord, bless this day. God, we're going to go there. And thank you that right now already, man, we got some Levite guys. I love that name. The Levites have been there since 7 o'clock, getting this thing converted from a public school to a house of worship. Pray for the Levites. Pray for the technicians. These guys are plugging things in and hoping that the, the worldwide stuff is working and connecting and it's actually going to happen and, and things are working and it's set up right. And, and you got musicians that had rehearsal earlier. They practiced. They're here. They're going to go through their stuff and they're going to talk about it and they're going to pray. You see what I'm saying? Come prepared. Pray for worship. Pray for what's happening. Thank you for those of you that pray for me and whoever's teaching us this day. I pray for your worship leader. Pray for Travis and the musicians and technicians, Levites. Pray for your brothers and sisters that are making their way. Everyone's coming to church with something going on. Most of us aren't showing up saying, man, it's been an amazing week. I just can't wait to tell everybody about it. Occasionally. But oftentimes, man, it's been rough. Got some stuff going on. Kind of heavy-hearted. Pray for people coming to worship with you. All right, that's it on that. They started with two choirs. I love this. In verse 31, 
Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. The other, verse 38, uh, of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with, with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the, to the broad wall. So they went to two different places because the group's so big. You guys go there, you guys go there. And they led them in worship. They sang, they played instruments. And I love that they identified the importance of worship Frankly, I think that's a good idea for us, too. Can we just say thank you to our teams for making worship happen in this room every single week? Praise God. Amen. Heartful thanks, grateful hearts. With musical instruments in verse 36, the musical instruments of David, the man of God, they're going back to David. You know, King David was a worship leader. He was a worship leader turned king. Uh, the David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. Ezra the scribe means they opened God's word. So I love this clear passage, this clear picture of what worship looks like. Verse 40, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. I love this. Skip to verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Uh, don't miss this. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. You don't have to make it up in here. You don't have to say to each other as you're walking down the hallway, try to smile today. You don't have to say that. You have to say, okay, look, I need you guys to just let God do his work through you. As you praise him, as you thank him, as you look to his faithfulness, God did this work of letting them rejoice. And it's, by the way, it's okay to encourage each other if we need to, a little elbow. Uh, please smile today. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so it says, they offered great, uh, um, uh, that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women, children rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Remember, our worship is always for God. We don't worship each other. We don't worship this room. We don't worship uh, the musician or the Bible teaching. We, we, don't, we worship Christ and Christ alone. Everybody say amen to that. We worship Jesus. We lift up his name. He's the one who's done great things for us. He's the one who's given us what we have and, and put us where he has. So we always worship him. It's him. It's God who made them to rejoice because of his, what he's done. He gives great joy. And I love that last part. Uh, the joy of Jerusalem was heard uh, far away. I think today there's people in Flagstaff that know there are churches like ours that love Jesus. Not perfect churches, not without flaws, not without stuff. People that love Jesus and are praising him. He amplifies our praise for his purpose and for his glory. We come, we say, God, we love you. We worship you. We praise you for who you are. Maybe you're not a singing type of person. Just be in the room and open your mouth. That's cool. Uh, just come and join and let something come out. Say, God, we love you. God will use that. He will amplify that for his purposes and for his glory. The last part here, he says, I think worship always requires and exemplifies service for God. They did something with it. They didn't walk in and say, man, I want to rejoice with God and then just go home and see what's on TV. What you saw in verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into, the, into them the portions required by the law for the priests, for the Levites, according to the fields and the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests 
and the Levites who ministered. Worship leads uh, to generosity. Worship says, God, because of all you've done and all you are, I can't help but step into this. I want to serve you. I want to help. I want to be a part of it. Give me an assignment. They delegated responsibilities, and they gave so that they were paying and taking care of the needs of the temple and all the people that were a part of it. Praise always leads to generosity. Verse 47. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, the two, the two bookends here, gave the daily portions for the singers, the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which is for the sons of Aaron. So they got their giving in line with God's design. Their worship resulted in generous generosity towards each other, towards the house of God. So lessons from Nehemiah. Live purposefully for God's work. Whatever your job is, where you're going to go to work this week or tomorrow or this afternoon, live purposefully for God's work, doing the thing that you believe God has you, therefore your testimony, your witness. Everybody okay with that? You can live for God right where you are. You don't have to leave. He might call you to leave, but right where you are, live purposefully. Hold all things with a loose grip. God has something to say to add to this. Hold all things with a loose grip. For them to say, yes, I will move. I will go to the wall. I will go into that city. Let go of things. Don't, don't hold so firmly on material things that God can't move you because you're so indebted to the stuff. Amen? Hold things loosely. Be responsible. Say, God, if you want to use me here, there, I'm yours. Use me. Be ready to obey what the Lord has said and where he may lead you. Be ready to obey. I think God's always calling us to something, to step in, to help a neighbor, to love the person next to you, to be mindful of others. Be ready to obey as God makes his way clear. Number four, be sure to celebrate. Worship him for his works. And as I said, come prepared. Be ready. Come in, ready to go. Uh, always be ready to give God praise. In the Psalms this morning I was reading, uh, I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. I will give thanks to the Lord for he's good. And it's not always, I will give thanks to the Lord because I feel good. I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Number five, notice the generosity that grows from worship. Uh, as the more you worship, the more you acknowledge God's goodness, you're going to find yourself quickly uh, able to help other people and to bless things around you because, man, God's got something going on here. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for this passage. And what, what, what we've seen in Nehemiah, the, the rebuilding of the wall clearly was, was important. But it sure seems, Lord, like you're rebuilding people, calling them back to worship, getting things in order so we're, we're not distracted as we come before you. Lord, what I love about us today, our worship isn't just through uh, types of offerings. Our worship isn't seen as we uh, go through a list of things in the Old Testament. Our worship is because Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross and his Holy Spirit has brought me, has convicted me, brought me to you. Now I'm yours. I know you. I have the Spirit of God with me. And that allows me now to worship you, to walk with you. Not just when we gather. Praise God we get to gather. Lord, you're always with me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Lord, you're always at work. And so I praise you for that. And we, we get to praise you because of what you did on the cross for us. And Lord, without apology, I just want so much for everyone in this room listening online to know that they can know you personally because of what you did for them. Lord, thank you for the gift of worship that we bless your name because of your goodness. 
And may we do that even now. In Jesus' name, amen.